Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. For each of the past three years, Share Our Strength has organized a Rural Childhood Hunger Summit to convene leaders around the special challenges of addressing hunger in our rural communities. This year, our keynote was by United States Department of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. He's been a longtime champion for our No Kid Hungry campaign and as former governor of Iowa, as well as USDA secretary during President Obama's administration. He's someone deeply familiar with issues affecting rural America. Because of the broader interest in Secretary Vilsack's remarks at our Hunger Summit, we've converted his appearance into this podcast for you. My colleague, Derek Lambert, is our resident expert, and he'll share some commentary with Secretary Vilsack's remarks. I'm thrilled that we can bring you this conversation, especially now. The majority of our nation's anti-hunger programs, such as school meals, SNAP, WIC, and now pandemic EBT, are administered by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And in the Biden administration, the commitment to addressing hunger has never been greater. The White House announced that summer meals will be expanded through EBT, that stands for Electronic Benefits Transfer, to reach 34 million kids. And last week, we learned that school meals would be universal and free through the 2021-2022 school year. Share Our Strength's No Kid Hungry campaign and our colleagues in the anti-hunger community have worked around the clock these past 14 months to demonstrate the most efficient and effective ways of feeding kids. Now our government has taken notice and brought many of those strategies to scale. Though we lost a lot of ground in the fight to end childhood hunger during the pandemic, we also learned what it takes to solve it. And together we can. And now, here is the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. I'm here today to talk about nutrition in children and rural areas. Uh, with the second gentleman, we announced an expansion, an increase in the SNAP benefit of 15%. To give you an understanding of what that means for a family of four, who are currently receiving SNAP, that's for the next several months, an additional $102 of assistance and help so that they can feed their families. Now that $102 also equates to more economic opportunity because that increase alone will help to support over 47,000 jobs across the United States. I mean, if you think about it, if people can buy more food at the grocery store, that means more needs to be packed and packed, uh, processed, transported, and yes, grown. So that our entire economy benefits when the SNAP benefit is increased. It's not just about the increase, it's about making sure that it's conveniently available to people. We now have over a million Americans that are using the SNAP benefit online uh, because they are having a difficult time maybe accessing a grocery store. Now they have the opportunity to use this, uh, uh, this additional increase online. It's also about helping states with additional resources so that they can expand access to the program. You know, unfortunately in many states, we still have so many people who are qualified for SNAP who don't get the benefit of it. With additional resources under the American Rescue Plan, states are now empowered to go out and do better outreach. It's also about making sure that we use this program in an equitable way. The emergency allotment process is designed through the SNAP program to make sure that the poorest of the poor get additional benefits uh, so that they can indeed take care of their families. And it's not just about the 50 states of the United States, it's also about our territories, making sure that no one is being left behind as a result of this crisis. If you think about it, this SNAP increase and the SNAP program, we're seeing a more meaningful benefit, we're seeing a more convenient benefit, we're seeing hopefully more participation and certainly more equity. And those are all goals that I know you all share at Share Our Strength. 
It's not just about SNAP, it's also about schools. You know, the reality is with COVID, many schools shut down. Kids who would otherwise receive that school breakfast that Share Our Strength worked so hard to get, uh, or that school, school lunch, not able to do so. Now they're home, being homeschooled by mom and dad, online with their teachers. Where does that breakfast, where does that lunch come from? It puts an additional financial burden on families. And so uh, the Biden-Harris administration decided to increase the pandemic EBT. That's the program that's providing help to those families whose children are now not in school, who aren't getting that school breakfast, who aren't getting that school lunch with additional resources. We expanded uh, the, the benefit by 16%, and we extended that benefit for as long as we're dealing with a healthcare crisis. Additional security uh, and comfort for families who are struggling. And it's not just about, about children in school, it's also expanding that program to children under the age of six if their childcare facility has been shut down. So additional opportunities in schools, additional opportunity in SNAP. It's also about security. And I appreciate Billy mentioning the fact that we're not just talking about food insecurity. We're also talking today and should be about nutrition insecurity. The reality is we have far too many of our children obese and overweight. Today in America, 71% of adults are overweight and obese. 60% uh, of American adults have chronic disease, at least one chronic disease. 40% of us have two or more chronic diseases. That's an incredible healthcare cost. Just think about this. The amount of money that is spent by the federal government on diabetes uh, conditions alone, just the federal government, not uh, private insurance, just Medicare and Medicaid on diabetes treatment, $160 billion a year. That's more than the USDA budget. Just imagine if we cut that percentage in half or three quarters, the resources that we could use to in turn feed more children. So it's uh, not just about schools and SNAP, it's also about nutrition security. And in this space, we're looking at the WIC program, a program that provides assistance and help to pregnant moms and young moms and dads and their children. Uh, we're expanding the benefit of WIC by providing a bonus payment. And we're also making sure that states uh, have resources to extend enrollment, to find innovative ways to connect people to the WIC program. This is a sad statistic, and it's a challenge to all of us. 50% of those who are eligible for WIC don't get the benefit of it. Now, what does this increase mean? It means another $70, $35 a child for a family of four, another $70 a month for the next four months. That's an additional $280 to make it a little bit easier for those families with young children. And it's not just about security and SNAP and schools, it's also about support. Support for our enormously successful and amazing people who work in our food banks and our pantries across the United States. Government can't do this alone. So we have an amazing volunteer army working every single day in food banks across uh, the, the country to make sure that people receive adequate nutrition. We're helping food banks by providing more resources to those food banks to deal with infrastructure they need to store and refrigerate uh, more fresh produce and, and more uh, perishable goods. We're providing assistance and help to states to encourage them to in turn help and assist and expand opportunities in food banks uh, to provide more food for struggling families. We're providing obviously more bonus buys through the USDA. Uh, at the Food Bank of Iowa yesterday, I had the opportunity to see uh, hundreds of pounds of apples being delivered, uh, good quality apples being delivered to that food bank for distribution. I also had a chance to take a look at some of the food boxes that they are currently distributing uh, to families across Iowa. And these food boxes contain a, a piece of paper that also encourages folks to sign up for SNAP if they haven't qualified. So you see, it, it's about a comprehensive and holistic effort 
to provide help to get us through this healthcare crisis and this economic crisis. We've got to learn from this crisis. We've got, to, we've got to seize the opportunity from this crisis. We have to figure out where the benefit through all the pain and agony and loss that we've suffered. What do we do with this crisis? Well, I hope we see it as a challenge, a commitment to double down on the work of Share Our Strength, to double down on the capacity and the ability of the federal government working in partnership with organizations like Share Our Strength to end hunger among children in this country. What a great legacy it would be for this generation of Americans who have gone through COVID to take a horrific tragedy and to turn it into an amazing opportunity to provide help and assistance and to make sure that no child is hungry. That's the, that's the challenge. Uh, I think we're up to it. We're looking forward to the next four years of working in the Biden-Harris administration to transform our food and agriculture system to make sure that people across the United States have access to quality, good, nutritious food for all of our children to be fed for our school meals to be improved, for opportunities to be expanded to take full benefits and advantage of government programs, and to provide the support and help to food banks and to share our strength and other organizations that are committed to ending hunger in the United States. Derek Lambert is my colleague at Share Our Strength's No Kid Hungry campaign and our resident expert on childhood hunger in rural communities. He had some observations and thoughts on Secretary Vilsack's remarks. So here, as we're hearing from Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, he's making it clear that his team at USDA and the new administration are going to take a very active role in addressing child hunger. We saw some steps taken under the previous administration, and that forward momentum is greatly accelerating under President Biden. At the onset of the pandemic, as millions of families faced financial strain, hunger, hardship, USDA issued waivers to allow schools and community organizations to adapt their programs to better meet the needs of children and families. We had waivers that cut through red tape, allowing all kids to eat for free in places where students were learning at home. They allowed for parents to pick up multiple meals, for meals to be dropped off at a child's home. And this matters because not only at the onset of the pandemic, but even today and looking ahead, we're going to be dealing with the fallout from this crisis. Feeding America has predicted that one in six kids, that's 13 million, may face hunger in 2021. And these are estimates based on projected changes to unemployment and poverty rates. Uh, but as Billy alluded to earlier, USDA just announced this week, week of April 26th, that they would extend pandemic EBT benefits through the summer. Pandemic EBT, known as PEBT, provides grocery benefits at a rate of approximately $34 a week to help parents cover the costs of the free or reduced price meals that their kids would normally receive in school were it in session. PEBT is expected to reach more than 30 million children over the summer. And that's typically the time of the year when we see a rise in hunger and food insecurity. And this builds on last week's announcement, April 19th, that when children return to school next fall, all schools will have the option to streamline their meal programs and continue to serve free meals to all students at an elevated reimbursement rate. And if you look at these together, alongside other policy tools like the Earned Income Tax Credit and Child Tax Credit, which have been covered in the media and in this podcast, uh, those were greatly expanded through passage of the American Rescue Plan. And if we look at these together, these are bold actions that promise to bring real progress in our efforts to address child hunger and poverty. After Secretary Vilsack's prepared remarks, I had the opportunity to engage in a conversation with him. My questions and his answers follow. I just wanted to ask you a few things, and I'll start where you ended um, in talking about what this moment 
might allow. Uh, you know, we've always felt uh, that hunger in, in the United States and particularly childhood hunger is a solvable problem. No shortage of food, no shortage of food programs, but it's been a matter of political will. It seems like this is a moment where there is more political will to get big things done. 1.9 trillion American rescue plan. And many of us have read about a proposed $3 trillion uh, next step of investment in infrastructure and other programs on the hunger issues and on the issues of rural hunger. What can we be doing to help build the political will necessary to get these big policies enacted? You know, uh, Billy, one of the challenges in a crisis is the fact that you kind of want to hunker down. I mean, we literally had to go into our homes and, and sort of disconnect ourselves from our friends and our neighbors and our family during this crisis. And that's actually the opposite of what we need to do in terms of responding to this crisis. We need to engage it. We need to embrace it. And we need to recognize the opportunity it creates for bold change, for transformational change because it's exposed so much about our country. It's exposed uh, the fact that our food system is not as reliable and, and as resilient as it needs to be. It's, uh, I think, absolutely exposed the fact that so many families were on the edge to begin with, and this COVID basically pushed them over the edge. So once you have an understanding uh, of, the, of the cracks that, that have been shown as a result of this, then I think it is up to us, this generation of Americans, to respond to that challenge, just in the same way that previous generations of Americans have responded to the big challenges they face, whether it's a depression uh, or a world war. This is our opportunity uh, to provide a legacy of this generation to future generations in this country. To do this, I think you have to transform the American economy, and I think that's why in addition to what we've done on, on the COVID relief effort, we've got to complement that with a, a, a bold plan to rebuild the economy of this country, starting with our infrastructure. In rural places, it means really transforming the entire agricultural economy of this country. And I think, frankly, the other challenge that we face that we have to meet is the climate challenge. And again, I think these, these challenges intersect one another. I think there are tremendous opportunities to create new jobs new income sources in rural places by responding aggressively to challenge, the challenge of climate, and at the same time creating the kind of economy that allows families not to have to need a SNAP program, not to have to have uh, uh, the, the assistance and help of a stimulus check or unemployment compensation because people are employed, people are working hard, people are making a decent living, and they can basically support their families. So I think it starts with the economy. I think it starts with a commitment to the economy. And I think all of us, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our political persuasion, need to understand that this is the moment. This is the moment for us to basically put aside the political differences that, that frankly are, you know, I, I realize people think that they're very serious, but the reality is they're superficial when you compare them to the issue of a, a hungry child or, or a climate that, that could potentially destroy all of mankind. I mean, I'm not being uh, overly dramatic here. We're faced with serious issues here, and we've got to face them in a serious way. Uh, so that's why we, in the Biden-Harris administration, for example, embracing the notion of a net zero Amer uh, American agricultural industry. What does that mean? It means new income sources for farm families. It means new rural jobs that are good paying manufacturing processing jobs, converting agricultural waste into a whole host of new products. It moves us away from a fossil fuel and petroleum based economy to a more bio-based economy. 
that, that's opportunity. I'm excited about this. And I think that, the, that what the president and the vice president are proposing, it's big. There's no question about it. And it might frighten some people in the face of, of, a, of a, a crisis that we're facing now. But that's precisely how you have to deal with a crisis. If we had shrunk away from the depression and we hadn't looked at things boldly, uh, we might not have survived that depression as a country. If we had shrunk away from the challenge of World War II and, 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 and some of the Cold War aspects, we might not have survived, but we didn't. We went big, we went bold. Uh, and I think we have to have confidence uh, as a country and in our system and in our leadership uh, to meet the challenge. Um, I'm confident that the president understands that. I know he's committed to it uh, and I am too. And we're looking forward to, uh, to doing everything we can to begin that transformation. It's not gonna happen in one administration or one term, but I think this is the moment for us to step forward boldly. Well, I think you anticipated my next question, so I'll make it brief because I think we've only got time for two more. But my next question was going to uh, address the issue of I think the U.S. under the USDA's leadership, under your leadership, we got really much better at making sure that kids who needed the meals that they were eligible for were getting them, and that families were getting the support, whether it's SNAP or WIC. There's still a ways to go. But what you just said, I think, is an important challenge for all of us because. You're saying we need to go beyond that. We, we need to help prevent hunger in the first place. And we need to get to the root causes of why families, rural or urban, are, are struggling. And uh, I think that means that we need to kind of expand our, our own advocacy to not just be focused on school nutrition reauthorization and, 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 and SNAP programs, but these larger economic issues. Is that fair? No, that's absolutely right. I, I think it's a dual challenge. You, we don't want you to give up or put the, to take the foot off the gas in terms of, of putting pressure on our leadership, putting pressure on me and putting pressure on our leaders to do what's right in the school nutrition programs, to make sure that they improve, to make sure that they're accessible, to make sure that they are conveniently available. They're not, we don't stigmatize youngsters who are involved in this. And I think that's one of the reasons why we went to Universal uh, uh, lunch, uh, you know, free lunch uh, during the summer months. We don't want to stigmatize. We started this process. We're gonna we're gonna look at this in the next couple of weeks and try to figure out if that's something that could be extended for the next school year, given the crisis. But what do we learn from that experience? Do we see greater participation? Do we see resources being made available to schools that can improve the quality of the uh, of the of the lunch and the breakfast that kids are receiving? And what's the healthcare benefit of that? And what's the long term cost? Uh, benefit of that. I think we begin to see maybe there are, are reasons for extending some of the things that we've done in this crisis. But at the root of it, you got to have an economy that puts people to work. You have to have an economy that doesn't decimate the middle class, but builds it back up. Here's the deal. The American Rescue Plan reduces child poverty by 25%. That's something to celebrate. That's something to acknowledge, but that's 25%. That means we still have 75% left to work on. So what do we do? How do we extend these programs? How do we look at the child care credit uh, that, that, that was passed as part of the American Rescue Plan? How do we make that permanent? That's pretty important. That's $1,600 uh, to a family that could really make a difference in terms of their ability to make ends meet. How do we make sure that child care is available and affordable? Um, how do we make sure that, that college is available and affordable in this new economy? And these are really big issues that require resources, require commitment. But I think our country's future depends on our ability at this point in time to act boldly. 
Um, so it is, it is about uh, the economy and you all need to be engaged in it. It's not just about raising the minimum wage, as important as that is. That's very important, no question about it. But it's about transforming the economy so that someday you don't even need to talk about raising the minimum wage because people are already making a living wage at jobs in the economy that is percolating, you know, percolating along in an enormously transformational way. America's always been ahead of everybody. We've always been ahead in, in terms of the latest innovation. That's what's fueled uh, our economy in part. And so if we tackle the economic issues of this country, the, system, the systemic issues, and that involves a couple of things that are really tough, really. It, it involves us talking about immigration and solving that problem, having the political courage and will to solve that problem. People that share our strength need to be engaged in that debate. It also means uh, the equity issue. The fact is that systemic racism in this country has cost, according to one study, $16 trillion to our economy over the last 20 years. And if we were just simply providing equitable relief to folks, it would add another $5 trillion to our GDP. Now think about that. Think about how many more people would be employed well and paid well, and how fewer people we'd have to have on SNAP instead of 42, 43 million Americans, 14 million of which are children. That's what we should be focused on, is a holistic and comprehensive approach to this, not just simply focusing on one aspect of it, but as you say, going to the root causes of it. Well, Secretary, you've been very generous with your time. I wish we could talk longer. I'm inspired by your leadership as always. Know that you've got uh, at least a thousand folks here uh, from community organizations all around this country who are passionate about hunger and particularly passionate about rural hunger. And we'll continue to look to your leadership and try to be allies to you as, as your work goes forward. Well, Billy, thank you very much. And, and look, folks got to keep the passion. You got to keep the energy. Uh, you got to keep the focus uh, because this is a pivotal moment for the country and the country has never needed you more and your advocacy than it does right now. So thanks for the opportunity to be with you uh, today. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of Add Passion and Stir. We're grateful to our team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign who makes all of our work possible. My sister, Debbie Shore, Kelly Griffin, many others on the team. And we're grateful to our production team at District Productive, Paul Whittle and McKenna Chester. And a very special thanks to Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. He's been a longtime friend. He's a Pittsburgher. Uh, as you know from listening, we go way back and we're really grateful for his leadership on hunger and agriculture issues across this country. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, please go to adpassionandstir.com to find other episodes and you could rate us and rank us and share with friends uh, and let us know what you think about our continuing conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. I'm Billy Short. Thanks for listening.